0: Is that doing like it's supposed to? Okay. All right. So go ahead and turn to Acts. I have a feeling I ain't going to like this. Sitting here having to hold this thing, especially as much as I like to talk with my hands. Anyways, um, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 19. We're going to start in chapter 19 today. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love that you've given us. Uh, That entire last song is just full of good doctrine. Some of it in which we'll talk about today in the sermon and some of it we won't. But we can take our stand in Christ, that we can... Serve you and love you, and know that no matter how what the results are here on earth, if it's a ministry that saves thousands, or being beaten and scorned, and either way, we find our, our hope and our faith in you and not in our abilities. And in on other men's threats against us. Lord, as we open our scripture today, I pray that our, our minds and our ears are open to what you have to say. That we grow as Christians. And Lord, I pray that may no one leave this room without having an understanding of who you are better. That we may go out into the world and proclaim your word. We love you and thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. Amen. All right, so. Chapter 9, verse 1, we're going to read 1 through 10. It happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said back to him, No, we we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John's baptism with, uh, with the baptism of repentance. Telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. And he entered the synagogues and continued to speak out boldly for three months, reasoning and Uh, 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 persuading them about the kingdom of God and when some were becoming hardened and disobedient speaking evil of the way before the people he withdrew from them and took away the disciples reasoning daily in the school of Trannis they took uh, this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greek. Now i want to be honest with you. all In preparing for this sermon, you know, normally what you try to draw is you try to draw this one major thing that comes out of the passage. That was very hard for me this week. There's just so much here, so much just chock full of, of information that if I said, okay, I want to lean here for the main point, I'd be neglecting a lot of this other stuff. So what we're going to try to do today is really just kind of walk through scripture, uh, uh, verse by verse, and pull out what's there. And there will be themes that are more prevalent than others, but I just really wanted to, instead of this one big theme, is, is hopefully let's talk about what's in the scripture and and have, have it just kind of come to life. It, it, there again, it's a narrative. It isn't like a parable where Jesus is telling, a you know, in a parable, Jesus, or in the scripture, Jesus is telling parables, and they have a main point. And in, in this, where it's just, it's history. And so, you walk through it, and, and they're just really telling you what's going on. So, there's a couple names that we'll recognize right off the bat. First of all, it talks about Apollos. Right here in verse 1, we see Apollos' name pop back up. Apollos was the guy who was in Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, he's he's boldly preaching about Jesus. But Ananias and Sapphira come. I always do that, don't I? Priscilla and Aquila come across him. And they say, hey, something's missing here. Something isn't quite Fool, what you're saying is accurate, but there's just something not there. Let's talk. Let's have a discussion about what's going on here. So that they, became, they started to disciple Apollos, and Apollos became more well-rounded in the gospel and started preaching again and, and, and seeing these uh, people come to Christ. He was a very powerful uh, a communicator, and he loved Jesus, and he was bold. He was a lot like Paul in that sense. But we see that he's left Ephesus and he's gone to Corinth. And I think it's kind of funny because now you see Paul passes through the upper country and came to Ephesus. So they, kind of, they just kind of mixed, you know, they went right by each other on the trail somewhere. And now Paul is back in Ephesus. And while Paul is in Ephesus, he finds a handful of guys, 12 guys, who call themselves disciples. And let's start, let's start here with disciples, right? What is a disciple? It's someone who follows the teaching of someone else. So we are all disciples of Christ. We're all disciples of, of men who have come before us who have, sit up boy. We all come from men who, who have taught the scripture and, and have given us you know, I didn't read the Bible one day and just had the understanding of it that I do now. Men flushed this out, worked through this. They had, you know, uh, throughout church history, there would be someone who stood up and said, well, I don't know about this whole Trinity thing. And so there'd be other men who said, well, there has to be a Trinity. And, and they would grab the scripture and they would say, look here, and I'll just take Jesus' baptism, where when Jesus was baptized, you hear the Father's voice, you, hear the, you see the dove, that um, the, the Holy Spirit represented in a dove, and, and and you have Christ being baptized. And they said, here has to be the Trinity, but at the same time, there is only one God. So then they flushed that out. They worked that out. They they used the Scripture. And I don't know about y'all, but I wouldn't have been able to do that right off of my, my by myself, right? Just taking... I just read the Bible go, oh, well, yeah, and, and have a perfect understanding of the doctrine of Trinity. So we, we've learned from other men uh, how to understand Scripture. And you'll see in, in church history where we kind of have this little divide in this passage where we have uh, uh, I've learned from certain people, you've learned from certain people, but other people believe something completely different about this passage to what we're going to teach. So... Uh, just wanted to kind of clarify what a disciple was and and it doesn't necessarily mean that because there were disciples they were the disciples of Jesus they're just following the teaching of someone and we find out a little bit later it is John the Baptist that they're following the teaching of so we see just like Apollos was still following the teachings of John the Baptist here are 12 other men who are are likewise following the teachings of John the Baptist verse 2 says And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Believed in what? Believed in what? Christ, the Messiah. Were they saved? No. Now how do we know they weren't saved? Because we see that they didn't have the Holy Spirit a little bit later on. Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they're answering, no, we have not. We haven't even heard of what you're talking about, the Holy Spirit. Now, these guys being disciples of, of, of uh, John probably actually do know something about the Holy Spirit. But what they're saying is they haven't heard what, you know, in the way that Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit coming down, you know, dwelling in people. They haven't ever heard of anything like that. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit dwelled with people, Right? And you could lose the Holy Spirit and he'd come and go. and he'd, But with the New Testament we're talking about the Holy Spirit actually dwelling within people and being a part of who they are. So I ask when you believed. When you believed in Jesus, the Messiah, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And answered him, no. We have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So let's take a second to actually talk about the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? First thing is, the Holy Spirit is God. Right? He's one of the, the three parts of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you're King James, Holy Ghost. I don't like ghosts. They're, they're, they're scary, so we go with spirit. Somebody be talking about, he's really scared of ghosts, ain't he? He won't even use the term. So, you got the Holy... <laughs> thank you, Karen. You got the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit plays several roles, and I, I'm going to read... This will be kind of fast-paced, but I'll read part of what he does. The Holy Spirit is a helper... Who teaches and reminds? We got that from uh, the passage Jake read, right? He says, "Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will bring to you what, what the Holy Spirit wants said in a moment to when you're being put on trial for what you believe." The Holy Spirit uh, uh, convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and fills us. And we'll talk a little more about that a little bit later. The Holy Spirit is a source of uh, revelation, wisdom, and power. One of our favorite verses, because of what we're going through as, as as a culture right now, is for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of what? Power, love, and sound judgment. Power is one of those things that come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us to all truth, including knowledge of what is to come. Uh, what they mean by that is not that we're psychic or, or, or we can see the future, but Scripture has given us uh, the end game. We understand that Christ is king. He sits on his throne, and we know how this ends. We win. Oop, went too far. The Holy Spirit seals us. It seals us. There again, kind of like it fills us, seals. We'll dive into that a little bit deeper as we read forward into actual scripture. The Holy Spirit helps Christians in their weakness. Helps us in our weakness. How many of you have ever or do struggle with sin? You know how you defeat that sin? Through the Holy Spirit. You're not going to do it on your own. You may... You may... Qual it on your own, right? AA, you know, we're, you know, but even AA says that you're an alcoholic for life. Jesus and the Holy Spirit says that you are healed from that sin and that you can move on. That you don't have to live as you're, you're, you're you are a Christian, not an alcoholic, right? My identity doesn't have to be my sin. My identity is in Jesus. So uh, he helps us in our weakness, the Holy Spirit uh, gives us eternal life. That's, that's pretty much the sealing thing. Once we dive into that, we'll see that that's uh, pretty close to the same thing. Um, and the Holy Spirit allows us to give good fruits, bear good fruits. The Holy Spirit is what allows us to be able to do things that bring glory to God. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot bring good things to God. I mean, we cannot bring glory to God without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, I don't care how much you've given away to those little yellow and green bins that sit in the food line parking lots. I don't care how many times you've said uh, you've helped somebody on the side of the road. How many doors you've opened up. And if you talk to the wrong person today, uh, opening up a door is a bad thing instead of a good thing. But how many, I don't care how much you've done that. I don't care how much you care about the environment. Without the Holy Spirit, there's some selfishness in you. There's some pride in you. You're not doing it for God. You're doing it for yourself. Even the environment, you say, well, you know, we don't want the world to burn up. The world's going to end when God deems it to. That don't mean we need to just take oil cans and just dump them all over the ground, but it does mean that God is in control. And so, that, that was a rabbit. Somebody shoot that joker. God allows us, or the Holy Spirit allows us to bear good fruit. Now, now that we have a little bit of an understanding of what the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit actually, it's not an outside force to us as Christians. It's not something that just lives out there. It's not something that you know. When people think of God and in, in the in the in the uh, the uh, polytheistic style or the 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 nature style of God, you know, they think of just it's everywhere. It's just around us. That pew has God in it. That, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a member of the Trinity. Dwelling within you, changing you, developing you to be more like God. And so when we uh, believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior, He comes in and He dwells in us and He seals us. We are His. These guys said they believe. What do they believe in? They believe that the Messiah... Had Cain. They may even have believed that it was Jesus. But the Bible also says that demons believe and they tremble because they have a better understanding of Scripture than we do sometimes. They understand how it ends, they know they lose. So they tremble. They tremble at the, the mere power and and majesty of our God. But as somebody was saying earlier, and I think this is a really good point, believing, simply saying, I believe in Jesus, right? That he was a man that lived about 2,000 years ago, that he was a good teacher, that he died on the cross. You can even go that far. That doesn't save you. It is essential, but it's not sufficient for salvation. So we see as we go into verse 3, and he said, Into what were you baptized? And they answer, They were baptized from John's baptism. And Paul responds to them, saying, John's baptism was with the baptism of repentance. So John was running around the wilderness saying, Repent, repent, repent. For the Messiah is coming. He's the last Old Testament prophet. And he's telling Israel that their Messiah is coming and they better repent of their sin. They need to repent of their pride. They need to repent of their rebellion of God. And they need to come back into a healthy relationship with Christ so that when the Messiah shows up, they would recognize him. That they could recognize him. That they could share in what he was doing. A lot of people got baptized in the the sense of John saying, I want to repent, you repent, and I'll baptize you. But there again, this was a baptism looking forward to the Messiah. Where now Paul is looking back at what the Messiah had already done. They thought that the Messiah would free them from Rome. And there again, I'll make the argument that he did eventually. But Paul's looking at it and saying, hey, This Messiah that we're talking about, Jesus Christ, died on a cross for your sin. That sin that you repented of, it's for you. He suffered. He was put in a tomb. Three days later, he came out of that tomb. This is all probably new information to to someone who would have claimed to have been a Disciple of John the Baptist. We talked about this a little bit with Apollos. Apollos. We see that Jesus Christ hung around for 40 days and then went back up. He ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the throne. They wouldn't have known that. He gives them, you know, there's these churches that refer to themselves as the full gospel, full Bible churches, you know. Well, that's kind of what Paul Paul says. I'm going to give you the full gospel, the full Bible. He wouldn't have said Bible, but Scripture. And he fills them in on the places where they were lacking. Telling them, or telling the people, to believe in him, this is uh, what, uh, part of what uh, John the Baptist was teaching. Telling people to believe in him who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. Telling the people that Jesus is coming, he's more than I am. They ask him, hey, are you the Messiah? He says, no, I'm not even capable of, uh, of, of tying the sandals of the Messiah. I like what Jesus says about John as well. He says, John, there's not been a greater man born under by a woman than John. Christ is coming is what John's whole sermon was, or message, his ministry was about the Christ is coming. You know what Paul's ministry is based off of? The Messiah has come. And what we see in Acts is we see this transition period to where you have people who may even believed in Jesus and that he was the Messiah, but not having the full understanding that he had already died, that he had resurrected, and that he ascended into heaven. Not understanding that their sins were washed away, not by a bull being sacrificed, but by God being sacrificed. And when they hear this, when they hear the good news of Jesus Christ, when they understand about Jesus Christ, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I almost missed a, a particular point that I wanted to make. How many of us know people, maybe are people, who were raised in church. Who grew up in an area like this where, it's, you know, your tractor is saved. Your animals are going to heaven. And you're raised in a place like this. And you think, I am saved because I know Jesus. You were preached a sermon one time to where the pastor said, all you have to do, all you have to do is walk up here and say a prayer and you never have to worry about salvation again. You've bought fire insurance. The bulk of people in this area have bought fire insurance but do not know Jesus Christ in a way that will save them. That makes this a hard mission field. It makes it a hard mission field feel because most people think that they're saved already. Most people think that they came up here and they said a prayer one time and that was good enough to get them into heaven and that there's no Holy Spirit involved whatsoever. In fact, because of that, there's this whole movement that has sprung out because of the, that culture, that mentality of easy believism that the Pentecostals were created From this verse. This is what I was talking about disciples. Who are you learning from? Who are you following in their teachings? And the Pentecostals in 1900. Said hey. The problem is we don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have what? We don't have the Holy Spirit. What do you mean you don't have the Holy Spirit? Well. What? It says in Acts that when you have the Holy Spirit that you're speaking in tongues and you're prophesying, and they, they go to Acts and they point out all this miraculous stuff that had happened in the book of Acts, not understanding that it was a transitional period, not understanding that it's between the the the, the ascension of Jesus Christ and 70 AD, where God broke down when God destroyed the temple for sacrifices. There's this period of history to where there's both kind of this Old Testament time and New Testament time where they overlap just a little bit and God is taking the, the, the stragglers of the Old Testament and kind of sweeping them into the New Testament. But because we've grown up with this easy believism and then you see somebody come up here and you, you, you stand you, you made a prayer, you signed a paper, somebody gave you a King James Bible one time, you think that you don't have to do anything else because they told you all you have to do is believe. If you went to a pretty, pretty good church, they would say believe and repent. Like John. These guys were baptized in repentance, but there again... Repentance is necessary for salvation, but it's not sufficient. And so you have these men, these twelve men who who believed in the Messiah, that the Messiah and, and, and opinions differ, but they pretty much believe anywhere from these men believed that the Messiah was coming to Jesus was Messiah, but they didn't know all of what Christ had accomplished on the cross. Regardless, Paul gives them the gospel. Many of our churches in this area, across this country, across the world, do not preach the gospel. They don't tell you about what Jesus Christ done on the cross. Or if they do, they turn it into this kind of afterthought. They don't tell you how to understand the Bible to glorify God. They go through Scripture and tell you how the Bible benefits you. And the Bible does benefit us. Don't get me wrong. But when we come to Scriptures and read them out of context and say... That means this, whatever it may be, it hurts us. What is, what is if, you, if you are breaking the law on the road and you get pulled over and you say, I didn't know that, what are they going to tell you? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. I think that's a bad thing. I think it's a really good excuse. How do I know not to break it if I didn't know it was law? But regardless, it's the same thing in Scripture. You can say, I didn't know lying was a sin. Doesn't make it any less of a sin. And so when we look here and we see these people Hearing the gospel for the first time. The full gospel. They repent and they're baptized. They repent and they're baptized. They come to Christ because they know who he is. And it says, I heard a guy preach uh, when I was preparing for this, and they were like, there's no need in baptizing people again. I'm going, if somebody hasn't been baptized after they come to Christ, there is a really good reason to baptize them again. Because that previous baptism was not anything. It wasn't anything. It was getting wet. But once you come to Christ and you get dumped, what are you saying You're telling everybody who sees you get dunked, you're put under the water, that you have died to your sin and your old self, and you're resurrected with Christ, and that is who you are now. It's incredibly important. And what gets me, you know, it says, then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And people will say, well, there's no need in baptizing again. You, how did you get that from? But anyways, so the men get baptized, and Paul lays his hands upon them, and the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. And you say, "Well, David, that sounds like a mighty good excuse, or uh, reasoning for Pentecostalism." But there again, you um, have to understand Scripture. You have to understand what's going on here. You have to know that when you're reading the book of Acts, that God is working in a way to usher in the new covenant and ushering out the old covenant. He is, like I said, typically everybody agrees that the end point is 70 A.D., when Rome went in and destroyed Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple. You don't hear about the miraculous after that. Not, not in this sense, not in the way that the Pentecostals would have you understand it. You know, and speaking in tongues... And I, I don't mean to just beat up on Pentecostals. I really don't. I hope it's not taken that way. But I can't tell you how many times this verse has been thrown in my face by a Pentecostal. Once they find out you're a Baptist. Oh, you're Baptist. You don't believe in tongues. Well, I believe in tongues. The Bible talks about tongues. I believe you jibber jabbering all over the place ain't tongues. I believe you falling out and saying that you had a vision ain't ain't a vision. I think you're highly emotional. That comment doesn't usually help people either, but just for the record. But these men had a mini Pentecost. We see multiple Pentecosts happen in Acts. We see the main Pentecost that happened to the disciples of Jesus Christ when they were up in the upper room. You see a smaller Pentecost occur to the Gentiles later on. They had their own Pentecost. Why? So that the Jews, who I mean, the, yeah, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem would understand that these people are now Christians, that they didn't have to become Jews first. And so there's another small or a, a smaller Pentecost. Here you got men who are probably Jews who follow the teachings of John the Baptist who did not know that Jesus Christ had died, resurrected, and ascended, and they find out about it, and they become saved, and what happens to them? The Holy Spirit comes into them. What happens when you are saved? The Holy Spirit comes into you. You have your own little Pentecost. The difference is, typically we don't start speaking tongues and we don't start just saying we're prophesying if you turn or I'll, I'll, I'll read it if you want to you can turn to Romans chapter 8 verse 9 where it says therefore you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells within you but if any of you, if any of anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Romans says that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, that you don't belong to Christ. Therefore, when I'm reading Acts, I have the understanding that these 12 men who are walking with with Paul, and he's discipling them, and he asks them, hey, what? When you were baptized, did you get the Holy Spirit? And they say, no, we haven't even heard of it. Then what were you baptized? He's trying to understand where they're coming from and comes under the understanding that they do not know Jesus in a salvific sense. That they only know Jesus in the sense that he was Messiah, in the sense of acknowledging it. But when he gives them the The full gospel, and I keep, that has a different meaning than what I mean it, (laughs) but I I hope that you understand what I'm saying, that when he filled in the gaps, continued to teach them what they had already learned, they kind of had the foundation he built upon that so that they had a better understanding. They came to know Jesus in the full sense. And, the bab- and, and, and they were baptized, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. We, when we accept Christ, have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And so they were baptized first, but we get baptized afterwards. We don't have the Holy Spirit come and just come and go and come and go and come and go. There again, another argument for why you have security in your salvation. That you're not going to lose your faith, you're not going to lose your salvation because the Holy Spirit doesn't bounce in and out of you. You didn't earn your salvation, you're not going to lose it. Christ gives it to you as a gift and he the, through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit holds on to that salvation So then they they leave and they prophesy and they speak and like I said that's kind of a, a mini uh, that's the best explanation I'll say this that's debated that's debated Why they left speaking in tongues, this whole passage is debated, (laughs) to be honest with you. But why they left speaking in tongues and prophesying is debated. The best uh, uh, reason and argument that I've heard is the mini Pentecost thing. So, um, just a moment of honesty. I'm not going to sit here and just say, without a shadow of a doubt, that's what it is. That makes what that makes the most sense to me. It, it's 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 a legitimate reasoning behind it. It's a lot better than some of them. There were other things that were mentioned that I went, eh, I don't know. But when I heard this part, I said that makes sense. So that's what I'm going with. Um, and just to have a moment of honesty about the whole thing. Um, so they're having their There are many Pentecost. Verse 7, there were about 12 men. uh, the, The group that Paul was interacting with was about 12 men. Then it says, he, being Paul, entered into the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months. Now, this is something that I think is important to understand too. The gospel that he preached to the disciples of John was the exact same gospel he preached to the Jews inside the synagogue. No difference. No difference. Reasoning and persuading them of the kingdom of God. About the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? And there's a lot of answers to that as well. One is, as Christians... We are part of the kingdom of God. We are currently a part of the kingdom of God. You can say heaven, the millennial kingdom. Ultimately, what is the kingdom of God is what God has ownership and control over. It's his kingdom, he does what he wills, he is sovereign. How many many kings do you reckon go into another country and say, I'm now sovereign over this country? Especially back in the old days, that'd be a good way to die. So his kingdom is what he is sovereign over. So if the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, what does that make us? Part of his kingdom. We are people of his kingdom. Um, Peter says it like this, that we are... Uh, uh, aliens to this world and members, citizens of another kingdom. We gain that through the Holy Spirit entering into us, the sovereign God living, dwelling within us so that we may be a part of the kingdom. And he preaches that to the Jews and the, the Gentiles, and he preaches that same gospel to the 12 men who were uh, John the Baptist disciples. He preaches that everywhere he goes. Last week we talked about, we, we saw uh, the difference between men who, well, men and women, who served the church, served the gospel, wanted to see God brought glory and then we saw people who did not and they were all about themselves their mentality was me 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 and a christian's mentality is christ 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 god 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 and we see that play out as you watch paul go into all these dangerous situations all these dangerous places and he preaches the gospel of jesus christ but then, whenever he just runs across twelve guys hanging out, he says, "Hey, you know, I was listening to you across the room over there, and I heard you talk about the Messiah. Where were y'all baptized, or what into you were baptized in? John the Baptist. Why? Because what he has on his mind at all times is the glorification of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." He's not thinking about what was on TV last night. He's not thinking about school or work all the time. Now we saw when he went to work, he was a hard worker, and that's what he done. But he did it for the glory of God. The reason he even went to work was so that he could so that people wouldn't say, hey, there's that Paul, the preacher of this uh, uh, supposed Messiah, and look at him being a mooch. So the whole reason he even went to work was for the glory of God. What is our motivation? Where do we go? First thing, when you wake up, what is your first thought? Mine's usually, ugh, I want to go back to bed. That's usually my first thought. I don't want to get up. And usually, it ain't until about the third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Sometimes it ain't until I walk into the living room and I see my wife doing her Bible study in the morning that I go, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I need to be thinking about Jesus. Are we sharing the gospel everywhere that we go? Every decision that you make, is it based on the gospel? That sounds extremist. Okay. So be it. It's going to get more extremist as the days go on. What are what? Are we more concerned about the kingdom of God than our own kingdom? And I can bring out all kinds of, you know, uh, go back into what we just read. But in studying this passage, what really got me is it says that he was uh, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And when he preaches to the, the twelve John disciples, what was he concerned about? The kingdom of God. He says, Paul says, I've learned to have plenty, and I've learned to have nothing. And I'm okay either way. Why? Because his kingdom, he wasn't worried about his kingdom here on earth. He wasn't worried about, about what he had or didn't have. He was worried about Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. He was worried about, we read in certain areas where Paul talks about how he would would go to hell if it meant that all the Jews could go to heaven. He loved his, his people. He loved them. He loved the Gentiles. There again, how could he love everybody all the time? Because his mind was on the kingdom of God. And you know what? The kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, uh, you sum up all the Ten Commandments and the Two Commandments, what are they? They are, love God, love your neighbor, love people. Love God, love people. But I've got to be over here. And, And there again, when I say things like that, I don't mean neglect your job. I don't mean... You know, ignore this people that you've made uh, 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 promises and that you've made uh, contracts with and break them. I'm saying, before you make promises and contracts with people, think before you do it. Think before you do it. So that you don't have to break them. So that you don't get put in a position to where you think, oh, if I, you know, I feel like I need to help them, but I'm going to be late for this. Just think more biblically. What was wrong with the twelve people? what What was their biggest problem? Their problem wasn't that. The problem wasn't that they were hard. Their problem wasn't that they were bitter. Their problem wasn't that they were angry. The problem wasn't that they were just uh, uh, God haters. Their problem was they were ignorant. And once Paul filled them in, they were all on board, just like Apollos. Once once they had the full understanding of what Christ had done, they were on board. And he's preaching the kingdom of God to everyone he comes across. Then it says in verse nine, "But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil to the way um, before the people, he withdrew from them and took them, took away two, excuse me, and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus." So eventually as he's preaching in Ephesus and as 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 he's the gospel is going out and people are changing and the the society is changing around them they see this that certain people became hardened and disobedient speaking evil of the way the way that was the way of saying Christian they said that Jesus Christ was the way. I don't know about y'all, probably bulky, of y'all haven't watched it, but the, uh, the show The Mandalorian, they would say, this is the way. This is the way. In a Christian context, we would, we, they'd be talking about Jesus. He is the way. I harp a lot that he is the truth, right? Therefore, we ought to be focused on truth but they were referred to as the way because they spoke of Christ being the way. The way to what? The kingdom of he- God, the kingdom of heaven. And so he takes, he takes his disciples, Paul's disciples at this point, and he takes them and he separates them to a certain extent. And he takes them into what he, uh, to a, um, a place that the school of Tyrannus Old boy's name means tyrannical. So I don't know what kind of a person he was. And I don't know, to be honest, if the, if the term tyrannical came from him or if he was named that way or whatever. But uh, he's in, he, they, they go to his school. I don't know. Yeah, everybody in here probably remembers this. When we were at Wallace Rose Hill and we were meeting in a school. Same thing, except for they're doing it daily during the heat of the day from what I understand. So basically what would happen is they would take a break in the middle of the day when it got real hot and they would say, you know what, let's go take a nap since it's so hot. That way we don't have to deal with the heat. We'll wake up later and finish our our work. Well, during this time, Paul uses that time to have class or church or whatever you want to call it, discipleship, during that time, to preach the gospel to people and give them more of the gospel. And he done that in this school. Verse 10 says, this took place for two years. He did did that for two years. He's preaching the gospel in Ephesus for two years. So that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All of Asia heard the gospel because there were men who boldly stood up for Christ. There were men who heard and preached the word of God and it weren't just Paul and Apollos. And I say men, but, but I hope that everyone has to understanding that. I mean men and women. And we have biblical evidence of it when we're talking about uh, Aquila and Priscilla. I got it right that time. We see people coming to Christ, the Holy Spirit coming on them, dwelling in them, changing their lives. We see the Holy Spirit working in them in such a way to take them from legalistic Jews, from pagan Greeks, from men who who were John the Baptist followers, but they were ignorant of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see Paul and Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ all in different ways, all in different methods. And they're proclaiming the gospel. And all of Asia, because of that, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that they were all saved all in Asia, but they all heard it. Because bold men and women stood up in their area and said, Christ is King. Christ is Lord. Christ is God. We know it sounds funny to a bunch of people who think that the the flesh is an evil thing and that whenever you die, your spirit leaves the flesh. But we're telling you that God died, resurrected his body. That freaked out the Greeks. His body resurrected. They could have left that out. Paul could have said, you know what? The Greeks really don't like that resurrection stuff, so I'll leave that out but they don't. And the gospel travels all over Asia. All over. This is everybody, Greek and Jew, knew of Christ at this point. After two years of Paul being there, and it, I mean, there's more that went on to that, but at this time marker that they're using here, two years of Christ, I mean, Paul being in Ephesus, by the time he leaves, the entire area knows of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't because Paul and Apollos just traveled all over everywhere. It's because once men and women heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, they did not sit on their rear ends. They went out into the world and they preached it. When they heard men and women talking about Messiah, they weren't afraid to say, hey, what do you know about that? Is that right? Where were you baptized? How'd you come across that? They weren't afraid. Now I'm sure that they didn't sit there and just go, heretic, and hit them with a two-by-four. They listened to them. But they answered back boldly with the answer that every man and woman needs on this planet, that Jesus Christ is is King, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That it took, it took God, a sinless God, a righteous God, to physically die on a cross because none of us can do that. And in three days after he died, he himself resurrected himself. And walked around preaching and teaching for a while. And when he was done doing that, he then, physical body, went up into heaven. Where now, he sits next to the Father, on the right hand of the Father, ruling the universe. Y'all want to share the gospel with a bunch of socialists? Tell them that there's a king out there that rules the universe. They want to be ruled over. You want to share the gospel with a bunch of hippies? Guess what? It's the exact same message. A bunch of rednecks from Duplin County. Same message. Black people, Hispanic, white, Asian Uh, 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 whatever the background, Catholic to Hindu to Protestant, I don't care where a person is from, what they have been through, the message of Jesus Christ does not change. Much like Him, it is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. prayed this and I hope that we'll leave here today I don't know if it'll take a year or a hundred years but I pray that this church was not just planted here because this was a convenient building for us to get I pray that this church sees the gospel spread across this area the Duplin and Pender County area to where we can say there's not a single person who who has not heard the full gospel of Jesus Christ due to that church. That there are other churches planted because of the works of this church. My prayer is that my prayer is that we, that people in this area will no longer have an excuse to reject Christ. They will. There again, just like Asia. It didn't say they all came to Jesus, to know Jesus. But every single one of them heard of him. And their rejection of Christ did not come through the people, but through their own disobedience of God. There again, I can preach the gospel until I'm blue in the face. I don't, I don't want to mislead people. I can preach the gospel to certain people until I'm blue in the face and don't die and burn in hell at the end of, of it. They hate God. They don't want to love God. I've, I've seen too many atheist books or read, or not actually read, but heard clips and that kind of stuff from too many atheist books where they don't deny the existence of God. They just hate him. And I'm not saying God can't save those atheists. I'm just saying that it's not me, it's not you who saves them. It's Christ. That does not neglect, we do not have the right to neglect the fact that our job is to go forth into this world and speak boldly the truth of Jesus Christ in everything that we do. If it's people that you think are saved, disciple them. I need to hear the same truth, the same gospel preached week after week after week, day after day after day than the lost person does. Than the lost person does. I didn't I didn't get saved and then go, "All right, well, now I'm now I'm good." That's the issue with this the, our area. People got saved and they said, "All right, now I'm good." So my, there again, my prayer, and I'll close it out. I'll, I'll land this plane. Is that we, as Christians, as Redemption Fellowship Church, will speak boldly into every situation that we're in. That our, our concern is more of the kingdom of God than it is offending people or making things awkward. There's a lot in this passage uh, more than what I stopped on. But this is definitely a passage that I would I, I ask that if y'all will take home and study for yourself throughout the week and really get as much out of it as you can. There's a lot of doctrinal things here. there's a lot and you'll see a lot of people disagree on things. At the end of it, you may not agree with me on everything that I've said. You better. But when all said and done, when I'm reading Acts, when I'm walking through this narrative, which is, to be honest with y'all, it's hard for me to preach narrative. I see Paul or Paulus. Or whoever uh, Luke is talking about, and they're sh- boldly sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere they go. So we have more of this. Hopefully, by the time we're done here, we'll we'll get the message that we should be sharing the gospel everywhere we go. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for giving us your word, the Bible, so that we can know your word. Lord, I pray that you give us fearless hearts, bold hearts to go out into this world and proclaim your name. Proclaim the gospel who you are and what you've done for us. That we begin to purge the heretical thought that everything is about us and embrace that it's all about you and your glory. That we don't sit around just saying, oh, I wish the world would change, oh, I wish this or that, but then we go out proclaiming your words, your name, who you are, to a people who think they might know you, but much like the 12 men that Paul ran into, they don't know the full gospel of Jesus. Do this for this area. Lord, we love you.